Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 10.14 a.m. Pacific Daylight Time. It is the 11th day of July 2023, and this is episode 753 of Bitcoin, and I haven't drank near enough coffee yet. Yes, poison bean juice. I get it. You're screaming at me. No, it's poison. It's po- I don't care. I just, I don't care. It's coffee. I, I, I need my coffee. Okay, and there's some there's some really really good people out there that are Bitcoiners that roast coffee. No, this isn't an advertisement, but there are people out there that are <clears throat> that are Bitcoiners that are roasting coffee and they are selling it for Bitcoin. And one of these days, I hope that they will join the Circle P. Now for the advertisement. Speaking of Circle P, we have Buys Nerds, my friend, also known as Maple Trade. Pretty much has the best maple syrup that I've ever tasted, and he does it all by hand. You're talking about thousands and thousands and thousands of gallons of maple syrup being hauled to make 800 gallons of, was it 800? No, 100, like 180 or 150 gallons of maple syrup. So it's like a 1 to 25 ratio. You got to you got to boil the living crap out of this stuff to for a long 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 time because you can't just fry it, right? It's got to be a good temperature. It's got to be just I you're just trying to evaporate it is essentially what you're trying to do. And when you're doing all this by hand, you don't have a facility, you don't have steam jacketed boilers, you don't have any of that stuff. When you're doing it all by hand, it becomes a labor of love, which is why I love Bisnerds, and I really like his maple syrup too because he does it very, very well. Uh, we are out of all of our maple syrup except for the cooking version of the maple syrup because Bisnerds, also known as Maple Trade, also has different grades of maple syrup. Now, does he have any left? I don't know. I haven't seen him on Noster in quite a while. Um, so I did get a message from him, though, so I know he's alive. But uh, I, if you get a hold of him and he says, "I'm sorry, man, I, I don't, I don't have any left. I, I can't sell you anything." Don't get mad at either one of us. Okay, the Circle P does not have an automated inventory system for all the vendors. Why? Because no, <laughs> that's not what Circle P is about. All I can do is help my friends and the people that I respect that are in the Bitcoin and Noster space and try to get their services and goods presented to you in a way that is, you know, at least piques your interest. But Bisnerds is spelled B-E-I-S-N-E-R-D-S. You can find him at Bisnerds on Twitter, at Bisnerds on Noster, and I will have his in-pub uh, in the show notes. Okay, so they his you'll be able to get a hold of him in the show notes. His sister, Sarah, also makes these incredible beef tallow soaps by hand. Uh, We're almost out of those two. Um, No, I I take that back. I've got one full bar left, but the first bar that he sent me is, well, it's pretty much, yeah, it's pretty much done for. Now, on to the news. Bitcoin Magazine, BTC Casey starts us off with this one. Unchained announces a new signature private client service. Hmm. Unchained, a Bitcoin custodial services company has announced the launch of its private client service with collaborative custody. According to a press release sent to the magazine, the new platform called Unchained Signature is a membership-based service that helps high net worth individuals, institutions, and corporations invest in and manage their Bitcoin. The company compares the experience to that of premium banking services, but with the added twist of multi-signature custodial models that Unchained is known for. Quote, the fact that clients 
hold their own Bitcoin keys, even when they get a loan with their Bitcoin used as collateral, is an assurance that Unchained is not able to singularly move or rehypothecate client funds, as many now defunct crypto firms did prior to their collapse, the press release stated. Dedicated account management features described include private trade execution, multi-million dollar loans, and retirement and estate planning, plus technical support, even to the extent that advisors will travel in person for assistance during emergencies. In addition, signature clients will receive early access to Unchained's latest products as well as exclusive access to networking events. Quote, as the best performing asset of the last decade, Bitcoin continues to draw in new high net worth individuals and institutions, many of whom have previously shied away from crypto due to technical barriers and third-party risks, said Joe Kelly, co-founder and CEO of Unchained, as he described the company's opportunity. Quote, Unchained Signature exists to help these investors buy, secure, and grow their Bitcoin with as much technical and logistical assistance as they need, all without compromising security. <coughs> all right, so that's the announcement. Now, I want to get back up. I want to. I, I just want to kind of pause before we get into something else and, and read, reread this line. Dedicated account management features described include private trade execution, multi-million dollar loans, retirement, and estate planning. Okay. Unchained is still around. How did this happen, you ask? With, with the crypto winter upon us and the, the storms that we've weathered, how, how is it that Unchained is still able to function? Because they're Bitcoin only. They didn't allow their britches to get too big. They didn't apply the human notion of hubris and hyperbole to what they were going to do in the future. They kept it Bitcoin only. They didn't rehypothecate the Bitcoin that they held. They actually acted in an ethical and moral way. Therefore, they survived. They survived it, y'all. And not only did they survive, now they're starting to extend their services to multi-million dollar high net worth individuals have the capacity to make multi-million dollar loans against Bitcoin and have services such as estate planning. Now, last thing that I'll say about this is that I want to, to talk about the idea of estate planning when it comes to Bitcoin. Honestly, it doesn't even have to be Bitcoin. Let's talk about inheritance tax. Um, I've seen numbers as high in the United States as high as if I like for for instance, I got a shit ton of fiat bullshit cash in the bank. I die. I leave it to my kids. The government can take 40% up to right now. I'm not sure if that's bracketed. I've just seen that number as a high end number. That's almost, I mean, honestly, that's almost half just gone to, I don't know, to fund Zelensky's cocaine habit, whatever. I, I don't really know where this money goes anymore. Clearly, neither does the Pentagon, but that's for another day. But, 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 what's the structure of that? Think about it. I've got cash. I leave it in a will to my children or somebody else, like my wife, whatever. It's taxable. It's a taxable event. Why are we not doing estate planning in the following manner? Think Joe Kennedy. I'm not exactly sure of the structure of the Kennedy Family Trust, but I think it has something to do with treating it like a business and that the trustees, or, the, or I don't know exactly how you call them, the trustees, the, the guys that get the trust, you know, the trust fund babies, they're not... They're members of the institution that is the trust. They're not directly recipients of it legally. They manage the trust. So it appears to me that what occurred is that Joe Kennedy said, look, I made a shit ton of money running rum <laughs> during prohibition because that's how the Kennedys got their money. If you didn't know, it was because of rum running during prohibition. 
I don't know if you knew that, but that's the way that they, they got all their money. In either event, it looks to me that Joe working with, oh, who was he? It was one of, uh, oh, it was one of the Kennedy confidants. Um, and it was also one of Howard Hughes' confidants. The Howard Hughes Medical Institute was set up by the same guy. Right. So I can't remember who the guy's name is. It'll, it'll come to me after the show. In either event, um, what happened is that it looks to me that what he did is said, okay, look, I got all this money. I'm not going to just give it to my kids. What we're going to do is we're going to create a company and we're going to make my kids shareholders and or otherwise some member of that company so that when I die, they just, they're just members. They don't actually get the trust. What they get are the keys to manage the trust and in some way, shape, form, or fashion are able to take what's known as distributions so that any, and if it's done right, any of the money that is intaked by the trust fund, by the trust itself is what's called pass-through income. Now, I don't know this, if this is the way that any of the structure of Joe Kennedy's Kennedy Family Trust works, but this is the way that I'm thinking of it for my own children. I'm not going to leave them any money. I'm going to leave them the keys of management to the company that I build with the money that I do have while I'm still here. And then they'll be able to take tax-free distributions. Now, it's not tax-free. It's tax-free for them. They will take a distribution, and then that cash or that pass-through will be taxed by the United States government, except it will be taxed to the company, right? So that in the event that things go south in a very, very particular, or not a particular way, just in a general way, and for the entire world... I don't want my kids being left out in the wind to twist, but I don't want them being stupid trust fund babies and buying Lambos and all that kind of shit. So be very, very guarded as to how much a distribution would actually count for and when and under what circumstances that distribution, that company distribution would occur so that the tax rate is not an inheritance tax rate. It would just be a general income tax rate. You see what I'm saying? Because one of the things that I saw in a cattleman's magazine that I received in the mail yesterday, the Washington or the Whitman County, actually it's the Washington State Cattlemen's Association. Yeah, Washington Cattlemen's Association. The Catch Pen uh, is the name of the publication. There was a guy that was writing about what happens when these ranchers that are around here, they die and their land is worth way more than they paid for it. And when I, I'm talking like 100x. By the time they got it, it was worth, I don't know, maybe a half a million dollars. Some of these pieces of land that they inherited at half a million dollars with almost no inheritance tax is now worth $12 million. Well, there's no way the kids can pay the inheritance tax of 40% when they change over that piece of land because that's what will happen. Then they'll have to sell it. It's guaranteed to wipe privately held land off the books. That's what it's designed to do. That's what inheritance tax is designed to do. It's theft in a, in a very insidious way. But, 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 check it out. What if that land is not held by me? That I put it into a company. I build a company around that land. And then I give the management keys over to my children after my death. That's not inheritance. You can't tax control of an entity. You see where I'm going with this? So if anybody out there works at Unchained, if anybody out there knows anybody at Unchained, would you please, please, please put that idea into Parker Lewis's head so that Either I'm dead wrong and I know I'm not, or we don't need the style of estate planning that people are thinking of. We just need to build companies with our wealth and pass the keys of control to our descendants. And they pass the keys of controls to their descendants. And if you structure it right, the trust always grows. For instance, I've got like at least two rules for this trust. One, the trust must have income. 
You can do that either by tithing. The, the members of the trust have to tithe 5 to 10% of their income when they have jobs back to the trust in order to be able to unlock distributions. Right. And the second, actually, I guess that's rules one and two. The trust must always grow. And number two, you have to tithe in to grow the principle of the trust in order to unlock dividends, which should be less than what you tithe. Again, the structure here is really milky and muddy in my head, but there's something here. So again, if any of you guys know anybody at Unchained, please put that bug inside of Parker Lewis's ear because I just don't want anything that I built up to go to the United States federal government so that they can drop bombs on brown people in my name. Fuck them. Now, Bitcoin exchanges are now holding the same amount of BTC supply as they did in late 2017. Think about that. And if you can't figure it out, William Suberg will clear it up from Cointelegraph. Bitcoin held on exchanges is down to where it was at the 2017 BTC price all-time high data confirms. Tracked by on-chain analytics firm Glassnode, the latest figures show less than 12% of the BTC supply now resides in exchange wallets. Bitcoin returned to exchanges during the 2023 BTC price upside, during which the BTC-USD pair more than doubled from cycle lows. The period since late April has seen a reversion to the long-term trend of coins leaving exchanges, however, and this month it hit a milestone as of July the 10th. 11.59% of the available BTC supply currently lies in known exchange wallets labeled by Glassnode. The number has not been this low since mid-December of 2017 when Bitcoin hit its previous all-time high of $20,000. Only 11.5% of Bitcoin supply left on exchanges, lowest in over five years. William Clemente, co-founder and of crypto analysis firm Reflexivity Research, commented, In BTC terms, exchange balances are back to where they were in March of 2018, with known wallets holding a total of 2.252 million BTC as of July 10th. Taking Coinbase as an example, Joe Burnett, head analyst at mining firm Blockware, noted that BTC balances had more than halved since the March 2020 cross-market crash. Quote, the exchanges are being drained, he concluded in part of a recent Twitter commentary, adding that he considered Bitcoin as, quote, on the cusp of true price discovery. As Cointelegraph reported, Expectations of a BTC price squeeze coming as a result of declining supply and increasing buyer demand have risen in step with expectations that the United States may soon approve a Bitcoin spot Bitcoin spot price exchange traded fund. Other advancements, notably artificial intelligence, should produce a similar effect over time. Some argue, yeah, that's a stretch, dude. Decreasing exchange balances, meanwhile, continue as the number of Bitcoin whale entities, those with the largest wallet balances outside exchanges, see an uptick. Around 40 new whales have appeared since late April and on July the 7th. Their numbers hit the highest since the FTX meltdown in November of last year. A curious exception to the exchange outflows trend come in the form of mining pool pooling, which continues to send vast tranches of BTC to Binance. So there you go. Why is it significant? Dude, 2017 was a long time ago. And that was the first, you know, that was my first, at least, that was my first uh, foray into an unprecedented run-up into BTC because I didn't get in until September of 2015, right? So I just, I rode... I I got in at the end of the bear market in 2015. I rode it all the way up to 20,000 to 20,000. And I was like, holy shit. And then you what? Yeah. You ride it all the way down to 3,500. That's the other side of that hubris. That's the other side of the excitement. That's the other. That's the side we're on right now. That's where we're at right now. So it's, I think it's incredible that the message of get your shit off exchanges has actually at least enabled BTC 
to be neutral insofar as how much is flowing to exchanges in comparison to December of 2017. They don't have any more or any less Bitcoin on exchanges than they did, what, six years ago. It's honestly, well, five and a half. It's amazing. It's amazing. I I think that that shows real testament to the messages of who? The Bitcoin maximalists. Now, let's move on. Austrian Bitcoin broker Coinfinity integrates the Lightning Network, as many others will do. Apparently, BTC Casey for Bitcoin Magazine. Coinfinity, an Austrian Bitcoin broker, has recently integrated the Lightning Network into its services, allowing customers to make Bitcoin purchases with reduced transaction fees. Thomas Bergstaller, chief growth officer at Coinfinity, highlighted the significance of this integration, stating, quote, Being this early to market is an important innovation step for us at Coinfinity, and Lightning itself is an essential foundation for the global adoption of Bitcoin as a usable monetary system, end quote. Customers at Coinfinity can gradually access Lightning features through the company's web portal and mobile app for iOS and Android. Currently, users can utilize Lightning to buy Bitcoin, after which it will be integrated into the savings plan feature and then the selling function. This integration not only offers convenience to users, but also contributes to the wider adoption of Bitcoin as a viable means of payment. The move comes as Coinfinity seeks to optimize transaction efficiency and reduce costs associated with traditional Bitcoin transactions. Uh, For further details, get the blog post on the company's website, and that would be en.coinfinity.co forward slash blog. Just look for, you know, Lightning Network, something like that. Um, It's great. Okay, I'm not I'm not saying that it's not great because uh, we need more adoption of Lightning. Well, we don't need. Bitcoin doesn't need shit. It's just great to see more adoption of the Lightning network because honestly, that shit's only 5 years old. I you know, honestly, the Lightning network is still very very young. And it still has it has still has its little quirks and peccadillos, but it works. I've never really had a problem with it. The, the, pro- the only problem that I see on a daily basis is my lightning node keeps trying to forward transactions and failing. A lot of them, it passes through and I get a good forward, but I see a lot of notifications that eh, it's just a failed attempt at forwarding and I don't know why. I've got plenty of liquidity on the outgoing side. I've got plenty of liquidity on the incoming side. I have no idea why a 20,000 Satoshi forward would actually fail. I'm not even I'm not even like, you know, heavy on trying to set fees real high to make a buck. I I I I don't do that. I set any of my channels that have like some higher fees on it, it's because I'm trying to keep the liquidity on my side and if somebody really wants to pay for that liquidity, then they will, but that's the only that's the only thing that I see and I don't even know if it's a problem with the Lightning Network or if it's just these guys are like, "No, nah, I don't even want to touch somebody with anything over than, you know, over 5 Satoshi uh five Satoshi fees for forwarding. I don't know. But with all that said, this is custodial. If you can, and I don't know anything about Coinfinity, but if you're a Coinfinity user and you're holding Bitcoin on there and you can get it off, then it's your fiduciary commitment to you, your time on this planet, and all of your ancestry that comes after you to get that shit off. Because I don't know if Coinfinity, I don't know anything about them. I don't know if they're going to rug you. I don't know if they're ethical. I don't know anything about them. I assume the worst. Therefore, get your shit off of exchanges. Do it now. Do it now. Do it now. BlackRock's <clears throat> BlackRock, back in the news. <clears throat> this one from Coindesk, written by Ian Allison. BlackRock's Bitcoin ETF application takes surveillance to the next level. That doesn't sound good, but I didn't expect anything less. The moment finance giant BlackRock filed to create a spot Bitcoin ETF in the United States, market watchers wondered whether the world's largest asset manager had a better chance of approval than the many rejected predecessors. They quickly fixated on a mechanism within the application that allows suspicious trades to be flagged to authorities. BlackRock's application sparked a flurry of follow-on filings with the now ubiquitous surveillance sharing agreement added. But what's more likely to influence the United States Securities and Exchange Commission decision is an information sharing deal that flips the position of power in the arrangement and gives regulators the right to demand extra background. 
While the SEC's requirement for surveillance sharing to prevent market manipulation of crypto is not new, details of a Coinbase and NASDAQ information sharing term sheet shared with Coindesk points to something a little more. The nuance here can be characterized as the difference between push and pull. The SSA, the security, what, Security Surveillance Sharing Agreement, the SSA, concerns data surveillance carried out by spot exchange Coinbase, in this case, which can be pushed to regulators, ETF providers, and listing exchanges if deemed suspicious. Information sharing agreements, in contrast, allow regulator and ETF providers to pull data from the exchange. The information in question could be about specific trades or traders, and the agreement also compels a crypto exchange to share data up to and including personally identifiable information such as the customer's name and address. Information sharing agreements do not appear in any of the spot Bitcoin ETF filings, but the structure is found in other markets. An important caveat is that an information sharing request has to be very specific, not dissimilar to a subpoena, according to a person familiar with the matter. Quote, it can't just be a phishing expedition where it's all of the information attached to any trade that was made between two given points in time, said a person who asked to remain unidentified. Quote, the obvious concern is that crypto traders, almost by definition, don't like having information shared about them. It's sort of anathema to the ethos of crypto in general, but for the ETF to be successful, firms have to do it. NASDAQ and Coinbase declined to comment. Going back to 2017, the SEC has highlighted the need for Bitcoin ETF applications to have a surveillance sharing agreement with a regulated market of significant size, but firms have lacked clarity and an objective standard when it comes to interpreting this. <clears throat> the inclusion of an information sharing agreement as opposed to simply surveillance sharing makes sense because it means an ETF is not reliant on an unregulated market, said Matt Huygen. Chief Investment Officer at Bitwise Asset Management. Bitwise has applied for an ETF numerous times. Quote, if there is an ability to pull, then that's coming from the regulated market. An ability to push is coming from the unregulated market, Huygen said in an interview. Quote, so the SEC will want the ability for the regulated market to oversee this surveillance. And in terms of identifying people at the bottom of these trades, I think that's just going to be part and parcel of those agreements. The combination of surveillance sharing and information sharing is a structure known to brokers and exchanges in equity markets where the regulator has the authority to request more information about the end client's trading history. Whenever a broker has a client that sends an order to NASDAQ, for example, and that order is flagged as suspicious by the exchange's SMARTS surveillance system, then the broker and the exchange are required to file a suspicious activity report, otherwise known as a SAR. Regulators investigating a SAR can go on to this second step, said Dave Weisberger, CEO of crypto trading platform CoinRoutes, which is requesting PII, the personal identifying information, to identify whether the same beneficial owners are behind a given set of trades, creating a consolidated audit trail. Quote, Coinbase, NASDAQ, and BlackRock are likely saying that if there is suspicious activity and they are surveilling for it, then the regulator can request who's doing it, but they're not going to just give out PII willy-nilly. There's going to have to be a suspicious activity. There's an equivalency here, Weisberger said in an interview, adding, quote, It is true, I believe, that the SEC will not only approve this ETF, but will approve it and take a victory lap. And considering how unpopular the SEC is, I suspect they need to do that now. Okay. Got a cat over here rustling through some papers. So if you hear some stuff in the background, I, my kitty's gone crazy. Okay. This would be the only reason that, well, this would be one of two reasons why the BlackRock, SE, uh, the BlackRock spot Bitcoin ETF gets approved. One, 10, not between nine and 10 trillion dollars in assets under management. They own everything. There's not a government on the planet that has that much money stored up. Think about that. Can you point to a government that has $10 trillion in assets saved up? I guess you could say, okay, well, if you put all the land in the United States together, yeah, you got $10 trillion. Okay, I'll give you that one. But honestly, beyond that, 
do they got 10 trillion in gold at 10 trillion in uh i don't know equity i'm just saying that you're talking about a force of nature you're not talking about charles schwab you're talking about blackrock which by the way think about it this way nobody even knew blackrock's name before bitcoin and they were always massive ultra massive talk about a whale you're talking about a planet-sized whale so just the power by itself specifically tells me that they're going to get this pushed through because they could do quite a lot of damage to the regulators that that say no i'm i'm just saying there's and i'm not saying through normal channels i'm not saying through legal channels i'm saying through make your life fucking miserable in the private sector because you said no second blackrock doesn't give a shit about you so therefore they don't give a shit about your data sure if it greases the wheels and makes it to where the Gary Gensler and the crew at the SEC says, yes, they'll do it. They don't give a shit about you. They don't care about your survey. They don't care about your privacy. It To them, it's just numbers. They'll give it. And hell, the, the bar for what acts as suspicious, they'll probably tell Gary Gensler, they'll push that way down. I want to buy a $600 fridge, so I sell some Texaco stock. Suspicious activity report. I'm just saying, so just don't be surprised. I think if any, if uh, here's what I don't know if it's going to be approved. Gary Gensler could shock the world and say no, just to delay it for another 75 days, right? But I get the feeling that this is going to be the first one approved. I don't think that they're going to approve ARK Invest ETF. I don't think they're going to approve anybody else's that has come up with that. Well, we'll just copy. We'll copy. That's what they did. A bunch of these guys did a, a re, refiled their spot Bitcoin ETF, and they included the exact same legal language for the surveillance sharing agreement that BlackRock had. They basically just lifted it from their filing and plugged it into their own filings and then refiled because they're pretty sure that BlackRock's going to get approved. BlackRock will be the first spot Bitcoin ETF approved in the United States. What will that do? I don't know, honestly. I mean, I have the feeling everybody else does, you know, that a rush of money will come in. But that honestly, it doesn't do me any good to speculate on what will happen. The only thing that matters is how I react to something that does happen. Not will it happen. What do I do when it happens? If it happens. I, that's the only thing that I give a shit about at this point. Um, yeah, I was going to do this one a little bit. Uh, I'll just give you the, the headline. U.S. senators are going to have a classified artificial intelligence briefing at the White House. I'm sure Kamala Harris will be chairing that discussion because she's what? The artificial intelligence czar makes sense. She's kind of artificial intelligence herself. Anyway, let's run the numbers. West Texas Earl is up two and a third points. Lord have mercy, $74.72. Brent North Sea up just over two full points to $79.29. Natural gas is up just under two points to $2.72 per thousand cubic feet. And gasoline is up one and a half points to $2.61. Alleluia for those of you who actually find a gas pump that has $2.61 listed on it. Gold is up a third of a point to 1936.60. Silver is down a third. Platinum is down a third. Copper is down a half. Palladium is the only other thing that up that's up uh, a quarter of a point. Ooh, looks like ag is doing pretty well today. Biggest winner today is wheat at 2.55% to the upside. Biggest loser is coffee, one and a half to the downside. I got live cattle up 1.13%. And whoo doggy, lean hogs up almost four and a half points. Feeder cattle is up a half a point. The Dow, oh, we're all saved in the ind- in the indices. Oh my God, looks like we're 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 cruising for that soft landing because the Dow is up 0.6 points. 
S&P is up a quarter. NASDAQ is up 0.13%. And the S&P mini shooting for the moon at 0.7% to the upside. Real money having a good day too. $30,624.96. And that's after 380,000 BTC have been sent around the horn in the last 24 hours. Average transaction value is 0.78 BTC. Median transaction value is about a buck. A buck and a quarter to be exact. Block time still very low. Nine minutes and 21 seconds. I got uh, uh, 0.11 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis. And 16.7 taken in fees overall in the last 24 hours. With a 10% decrease in hash rate, we're back down to 383 exahashes per second. And it looks as if Doge is doing, eh, staying stable along with everything else. Which means that the field of shitcoins are also doing okay. 6.5 United States pennies. We got a $594.6 billion market cap. That's 4.63% of gold's market cap. 16 point ounces of shiny metal rocks with your one Bitcoin. If you choose to part with it, there are 19,426,599.36 Bitcoin in circulation at the time. 5,452.9 of those are in the Lightning Network valued at $166.9 million being run over 16,350 nodes, at least that we know about, and 69,957 payment channels that we can see. 63.8% of all that shit's being run over Tor. Mempool's kind of getting a little full from yesterday, but really not bad. About 112 blocks uh, carrying 228,000 unconfirmed transactions waiting to clear. Uh, high priority transactions going for 15 Satoshis per V-byte. Low priorities are 12. Everything in mempools that are below 2.47 Satoshis per V-byte are being purged, or at least that's out of the <clears throat> 300 megabyte limit. Uh, mempools are being purged below 2.47 Satoshis per V-byte. I am now number seven. Dropped a couple of points from yesterday. Number seven on Fountain Charts. Again, thank you so much for your support. Uh, why? Oh, I never mind. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, <laughs> I was expecting to get right into the boost, but I forgot I closed down my entire browser after I set up the show and had to reset it up and forgot to get back into this one. La 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 la. Look, waiting for it to come back up. Here we go. I got a Bitcoin underscore kook with 2100 Satoshi says, yo, with full respect and humility. In a recent survival podcast on Bitcoin, Jack was saying how Lowry is so smart and his idea is so brilliant or something like this. I disagree. What do you think? Bitcoin kook, I heard that episode. I know exactly which episode that you're talking about because I listened to it in full as well. And I was kind of surprised to hear someone someone like Jack Spirico singing the praises of Jay. It was, I can't remember his first name. It's the space boy, you know, the commandant from Space Force or whatever the hell it is with the book Soft War. All right, okay. I've never read the book. I'm not going to read the book. I don't, ha- and it's not because I don't like, I th- is it Joseph Lowry? Jay Lowry? I can't remember. Anyway, Lowry, it's not because I don't want to read the book because I don't like them. It's that I don't have time and I would rather read a book about soil or mycorrhizal fungi or something like that because that's the nerd that I am. I ain't got time to read somebody's doctoral dissertation that was turned into a book and then hit the top of the charts on Amazon book sales, right? So I can't really say if this Lowry guy is brilliant. I will say this. He leveraged the living shit out of the Bitcoin community to send a PhD dissertation to the top of book charts. Most PhD candidates will publish, well, actually, candidate and then once they get their phd and their dissertation is successfully defended and they receive their phd most phd candidates will actually publish their dissertation most of those dissertations and i'm talking 99.99% of them will sit in the library on the library shelf of the institution that they got their PhD on there to never be cracked. How do I know? Because I've gone to the dissertation section and I've picked up several of them and I've cracked the binding. And when the bindings actually, you know, audibly cracks, 
That means nobody's actually ever opened that book before. Jason, yeah, Jason, it's Jason Lowry. Jason was able to not only publish his PhD dissertation, but it made him a shit ton of money. How much? I don't know, but I'm sure it was enough to pay, you know, multiple months of rent. But he successfully leveraged the Bitcoin community. He's more well-known than I am, and he's only been on the scene for a year and a half. I've been here for over four years. So is he brilliant? I don't know. That's not the question. Is he effective? Bitcoin kook, I have to say that Jason Lowry is extraordinarily effective. Love him or hate him. You're going to have to deal with them. Moner Ed with 752 says, a dad says, joke for you, sir. Oh, okay. <clears throat> what does a baby computer call his father? Data. Huh? <laughs> Not bad. Not bad at all. Jim Leahy with 500 says, top four, Liam Wankum. <laughs> God's death. 370. Thank you, sir. Top 10 again. Yes, indeed. I am top 10 again. Pies with 250. The signal is strong. This is the way. A user with a shit ton of numbers says, with 123 sats, this is important, y'all. Listen up. Can you point me to the Circle P site? I have tried to buy the products to support your show, but can't find the vendors. Please add me on Noster. And then he gives his NPUB. Okay, user with a shit ton of numbers. Actually, it's just literally a user with like four or five handfuls of number numbers behind it. I don't have a website for it. This is bootstrapped, right? This is the circle P, which God's death actually replied to him and says, this is the circle P. This is the circle P. There's not a website for it. And to honestly, I don't know if I'm going to, I don't know if I'm going to do one. I don't know if this is going to be successful at all. I don't know if I'm going to have to go lay brick for a living, (laughs) but if I can, I kind of like it where it's just this. It's just me talking to you. I tell you about Buys Nerds and his maple syrup. I put his NPUB in the show notes. You go look at the show notes. You DM that NPUB, get a hold of Buys Nerds, and see if you can buy some maple syrup from him. Is the friction level high? Absolutely, sir. It is high. But I think it's worth it. I mean, how else... How better to support your fellow pleb than by doing a little bit of heavy lifting? Doesn't mean that I won't ever do a Circle P website, but I got to see if this shit is even going to be worth worth the while. In my in my estimation, it kind of already is because I've helped Shishi sell a shitload of comfrey. I've sold, I've helped you know Maple Trade sell Mother's Day baskets. I've actually affected their sales, and as long as I continue to affect the sales in a positive way for people that are in the circle P, then the circle P will always be here. So that's what I have to say about that. Black card biz with a hundred says all hashtag all sats matter at all sats matter.com. Uh, Hey, I, I never went there. Don't know anything about all sats matter.com. Go there at your own risk. I'm sure black card is a good guy. I'm just saying I've never been there. Right. That's full disclosure don't know anything about it. All right, so there you go. That's the weather report. Welcome to part two of the news that you can use. Daily ordinals inscriptions approach an all-time high as Bitcoin fees remain low. Interesting. What is the market telling us about it? Maybe decrypt and Pedro Salamano will tell us. Bitcoin ordinals continue the relentless takeover of the network nearing the all-time high for daily inscriptions whilst maintaining low fees. There was an impressive surge in activity over the weekend, according to crypto data provider Dune, with Sunday clocking the second busiest day in ordinal history with 385,920 inscriptions. The number is slightly below the number one placeholder of May 7th, which saw over 400,000 inscriptions. Uh, Even so, Bitcoin transaction fees have remained low after their May highs, according to Dune's ordinal dashboard. Sunday, which saw the spike in inscription activity, only notched 2.5 BTC in fees. 
Indeed, given the parabolic rise in inscriptions, which currently number 16,299,730 and the social madness that ensued, fees have actually been consistently low over the past few weeks. Users haven't paid more than 3 BTC a day during the month of July, and the network hasn't seen a daily fee count surpass 10 Bitcoin since May 31st. That is a significant difference from the previous occasion in which the network neared or reached 400,000 inscriptions. In early May, a fierce debate was triggered after a bloated Bitcoin network was charging triple-digit fees for transactions. Users on May the 7th paid 247 Bitcoin in fees, marking a stunning 10,000% difference from this weekend. As for types of inscriptions, the most popular is text-based content. Content, as per data from Dune, registering over 13 million inscriptions, a colossal 81.3% of total inscribed to date. This near all-time high could be the result of a seemingly unstoppable number of ordinal-related projects that are popping up. Uh-oh, hold on. Oh, never mind. Sorry. Yeah, I, I get distracted. I'm like a bird with a shiny object. Uh, in late June, oh, wait, the, 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 hold on. Ordinal-related projects that are popping up in popularity that they have garnered. Okay, in late June... Bitmaps, a protocol that offers a way for users to claim ownership over individual blocks, launched and subsequently climbed to the top of the daily inscription counts, totaling 817,000 and held that spot for 19 days straight. Last week, a new ordinal standard, BRC69, now we're outside of BRC20s, we're now into BRC69, introduced in recursive inscriptions, which is a way to recycle data from already existing inscriptions, Jesus Christ, reducing costs by more than 90% and allowing users to bypass the 4 megabyte block limit. Oh joy. Alongside BRC69, last Friday news broke that Ordinals-based BRC20 tokens were now expanding to Ethereum with popular Ordi and OXBT tokens being bridged and creating the BRC20 curated collection on the dominant NFT ecosystem. Even Ethereum inventor Vitalik Buterin has praised the arrival of ordinals, saying he definitely sees signs of hope now that we have ordinals. Oh my God. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. Uh, he said, oh, he added that they have brought about a return to builder culture. I don't know what this dude's Vitalik is smoking at this point, but he, it's clear that they've all kind of lost their minds. It doesn't matter because the only thing that's really important to note is that the market, the fee market, specifically the Bitcoin fee market, has expressed information to us about what the market thinks of ordinals as a whole. And that is very low priority, extraordinarily low priority. You're not getting an ordinal done for one Satoshi per V-byte. Yet, yet, the market is also signaling what? That it's adjusting between what it thinks. And we're talking about the market. Think of the market as a, I don't know, some kind of dude in a coma having a dream and, and what's important and what's not. A financial transaction that has financial, I don't know, non-impotency is of higher value, but yet not so high as to clog up mempools. It's adjusting. It's doing it organically. This is what a free market actually looks like. You better love it while you can. Because one of these days, I'm going to start reading you stories about how AI agents are influencing fee rates I'm telling you, that's going to happen. Derivatives, AI agents that are constructing their own derivatives on the fly. That shit is not impossible. I'm, I'm, I'm literally, think about it this way. An AI, a financial AI agent released into the wild on the Bitcoin network that somehow or another is able to craft its own, for lack of a better term, let's just use smart contracts, and derivative products on things like mining hash rate, fee rate differentials between ordinals, inscriptions, BRC20, BRC69, and actual honest-to-God financial transactions. I'm telling you, I'm telling you it's going to happen. 
right? So love the organics while you can. <clears throat> they may go away quicker than you think. Do I think it's going to happen? I don't know. Or, or, or do I think it will happen soon? I don't know. Will it happen? Yes, it will absolutely happen. I'm just saying just how you prepare for it is how you'll survive it. Just saying. Luxor Technologies expands Bitcoin mining derivatives. I just got off of that <laughs> with a six-month contract and daily settlement rates. Bitcoin Magazine, BTC Casey. Luxor Tech, a Bitcoin mining software and services company, has announced the expansion of its Bitcoin mining derivatives contracts. According to a press release sent to Bitcoin Magazine, the new offering from Luxor's derivatives desks includes six-month duration contracts and daily settlement rates, providing market participants with extended contract periods and swift access to liquidity. The press release stated that the addition of these features enhances hedging efficiency and reduces the cost of capital in the Bitcoin mining derivative space. Matt Williams, Luxor's head of derivatives, expressed his enthusiasm for the innovative pricing model, stating, quote, This innovative pricing model takes hash price contracts to the next level. Yay! He emphasized that the integration of daily settlement rates makes their offerings more attractive to TradFi investors, expanding the reach of Luxor's hash price marketplace beyond the mining sector. Williams added, quote, This development underlines... Luxor's vision of transforming hash rate into a viable asset class. The press release described how, as more participants join the Luxor derivatives desk, the increased liquidity is expected to improve the cost of capital for miners. This update comes at an opportune time with miners approaching the 2024 Bitcoin halving, which will, will result in a 50% reduction in the BTC value of block subsidies. Luxor's six-month hash price contracts could assist miners in planning long-term hedging strategies to navigate the impending volatility. Luxor CEO and co-founder Nick Hansen commended the upgrade, affirming the company's commitment to financial innovation in the Bitcoin mining sector. He described it as an advancement in their vision of hash rate as an asset class and expressed excitement about bringing this forward looking product to their extensive client base already using hash price contracts. The hash price contracts are traded on Luxor's derivatives OTC marketplace, enabling sellers to secure Bitcoin mining revenue and buyers to access non-physical exposure to Bitcoin mining. Luxor's derivatives desk facilitates order matchmaking, manages counterparty risk, and settles payments using the Bitcoin hash price index as the reference rate for expected mining revenue. Okay. Now, plug all that in to an AI agent running around making its own derivatives contracts outside of the scope of the SEC. Because that shit can happen. I mean, if it, think, of, think of Bitcoin as it doesn't have an office. There's no CEO. There's no customer service desk. There's no building to go to. There's no mailing address. There's no phone to call. There ain't no nothing. Every AI agent may very well be that way, or at least in the early days, you know, before they require the AI agent to have what? A driver's license, because that'll be coming too. But in the interim, you're going to be talking about AI agents running around with the ability to do all manner of things. And if you, as an AI agent, can construct and release derivatives contracts every millisecond, for a thousand milliseconds and then completely stop and then wait for four hours and do it all over again with a different pri I don't know how these things actually would work. I'm just saying, think about the noise that could be introduced into the system. Now that's just one AI agent. Think about hundreds of thousands of them. Think about an AI agent that builds other AI agents that do the exact same thing and builds a thousand of them in a second. Do not, do not, do not sleep on the power of what this actually could do. It could be quite destructive. It could be quite constructive. We don't know. It all depends on who's behind the AI agents and what their intent is for those AI agents. And the, the bad person that builds an AI agent that builds other AI agents, I guarantee you that badness is going to be passed through. I'm just saying right now, we have what actually looks like a free market as regarding Bitcoin fees and mining hash rate. That shit will change. I guarantee it. Now, going into gaming, <clears throat> you can now earn Bitcoin for playing Minecraft. And here's how. 
This is from decrypt.co. Andrew Hayward is writing it. One of the world's most popular video games can now earn players Bitcoin. Excuse me. Thanks to a new Minecraft integration facilitated by Bitcoin-centric payments startup ZBD. Satlantis, a Bitcoin-themed Minecraft server operated by community members, has integrated ZBD's Lightning Network-enabled gaming tech, letting players earn Bitcoin for playing. It works with the Java edition of Minecraft on computers, and players can withdraw their earnings to the ZBD wallet on iOS or Android. It's an unofficial integration of Bitcoin tech that isn't endorsed by Minecraft developer Mojang or the publisher Microsoft. The Satlantis server is broadly inspired by the leading cryptocurrency with gameplay elements inspired by Bitcoin mining rigs and mining pool collectives, plus the ability to boost your mining hash rate to have a better chance of winning Bitcoin in game. Granted, your winnings are likely to be modest. Satlantis is giving out over 1 million Satoshis this week, according to ZBD, which is 1% of one Bitcoin. In other words, just over 300 bucks total per week worth of Bitcoin. A Satoshi is the smallest unit of measure of Bitcoin. Yeah, I know. But that's pretty typical for games and apps that reward players with Bitcoin, shitcoin number one, and other shitcoins. Games like Sweet Bitcoin and shitcoin number one Blast that Decrypt has reviewed typically pay out about a few cents worth of cryptocurrency per hour of play. In addition to various mobile games that use ZBD's gaming tech, the firm also previously launched specialized Bitcoin earning servers for another major traditional gaming smash, Valve's squad-based shooter Counter-Strike Global Offensive. ZBD enabled Bitcoin wagering and rewards in that game way back in 2021. And this isn't the first time that Minecraft has crossed paths with Bitcoin either. Years back, a now-shuttered server called BitQuest let players find and collect small amounts of Bitcoin, which could be spent in-game. Other fan-run Minecraft servers have experimented with NFT and crypto integrations in the past. However, Microsoft plans to crack down on such integrations. In July of 2022, the tech giant announced that it planned to ban NFTs from all Minecraft servers, stating that NFT-based token-gated features are not inclusive of all our community and create a scenario of the haves and the have-nots. Yeah, like Microsoft has and you do not. One year later, Microsoft still hasn't updated Minecraft's terms and conditions to reflect the expected NFT ban. Oh, that's interesting. In June, however, a Microsoft representative confirmed to Decrypt that Minecraft still plans to follow through with the move. Despite Minecraft's NFT ban not yet becoming official, some fan-run servers and derivative projects either shut down or changed course. NFT Worlds, a project that sold NFT-based land plots for a dedicated Minecraft server, ultimately opted to create its own similar game instead. Minecraft's original news post about the planned band also mentioned other blockchain technologies, which could include cryptocurrency. Decrypt asked a ZBD representative whether Satlantis feels confident that it won't run afoul of any prospective Minecraft crypto ban, but did not immediately receive a response, probably because they're not planning to give a shit until they get a cease and desist letter from Microsoft, in which case they'll probably shut it down. But until such time, they won't. I really, I like the guys over at ZBD. I've interviewed, uh, I can't remember who it was that I interviewed over there when they first announced the Counter-Strike stuff, but they're going to continue doing what they do. And they are essentially, as far as I can tell, a Bitcoin only company, which is what, why they are able to actually still be in operation today after FTX, Terra Luna and three arrows capital, uh, debacle. I'm just saying you want to survive. You better be Bitcoin only just saying Bitcoin magazine. No, I'm not going to do this one first. Actually, I'll do this one because we're coming to the end of the hour and I'm really trying hard to keep these at right about an hour so I don't go on and on and on. Now, ending today, as normal, when I try or when when I find them, I usually put these types of articles at the very last as a critical reminder about Bitcoin only. Bitcoin maximalism, why we Bitcoin, why we don't shitcoin, and why we tell others not to shitcoin as well. 
Arboretum-based rodeo finance has been exploited for a second time. $1.5 million has been stolen. Prussian Jaw, tell us more, Cointelegraph. Arboretum-based decentralized finance protocol Rodeo Finance was exploited for $1.53 million today, July the 11th. The DeFi protocol was exploited using a code vulnerability in its Oracle, leading to a loss of over 810 various shitcoins. Actually, Ether, but whatever. According to data shared by blockchain analytic firm PeckShield, the exploiter later bridged the stolen funds from Arboretum to Ethereum and swapped 285 ETH for uh, Unsheath whatever the hell that is. The exploiter then deposited the ETH on ETH2 staking. Finally, the exploiter routed the stolen ETH using the popular mixer service Tornado Cash, which exploiters often use as an exit route to obscure the transaction's footprint. The exploiter used time-weighted average price oracle manipulation, which is used by DeFi protocols, to calculate the average price of an asset for a specific time frame and mitigate price fluctuation due to market volatility. However... It offers a vulnerability for exploiters to manipulate these oracles by artificially skewing the calculated average price of an asset. That allows them to gain the upper hand and exploit the protocol during a transaction. An exploiter first borrows a large sum of an asset and then artificially manipulates the price to buy the same asset at a deflated price. Later, the exploiter returns the loan and makes a profit based on the low price managed by manipulations. The exploiter wallet address still holds over 374 ETH and Etherscan has marked the address as linked to the rodeo exploit. The DeFi protocol had $20 million in total value locked, falling below $500 after the exploit. I guess 500. Well, yeah, falling below five. Okay, let me read that again. The DeFi protocol had $20 million of total value locked, which fell below $500 after the exploit. Oh my God. The exploit also tanked the price of the native token of the DeFi protocol, dropping over 53% in the past 24 hours. In 2023 alone, there have been 21 recorded incidents of some form of exploit on the Arboretum network with a combined loss of over $20 million. The latest exploit of $1.53 million makes it the fifth largest recorded on Arboretum in 2023. Rodeo Finance was also exploited on July the 5th, what that was like last week, for around 89000 due to a vulnerability in their Mint Protocol Reserves function. This is all bullshit. It, it, I don't know why it is that nobody will take the Bitcoin maximalist advice and stop doing this shit. All we want you to do is stop losing your money. That's it. Well, I, I don't want to kill Ethereum. I don't want to kill DeFi. I'm just telling you that every time I see somebody get into this shit, it all ends up going sideways and down for them. And the next thing you know, they're destitute. When all they really had to do was what? Buy Bitcoin. Hold Bitcoin. Uh, that's going to do it for the morning roundup. Tuesday joke day. Dad says jokes. If I were rich, I would give most of my money to the poor, but instead I'm poor. So I give most of my money to the rich. Yeah. Pretty good way to end this one off. Cause we do, we're always giving our money to the people that actually don't need it. <clears throat> and if they do need it, they do the wrong things with it. And honestly, they don't need it. Let's be let's be honest with each other. The, these guys don't need our money, but they're going to continue to find new and improved ways to take it from us. And what are they really taking when they when they're taking our money? Taking your time. Time that could be better spent with your kids, time that could be better spent with your grandchildren, time that could be better spent with your wife or your husband, time that could be better spent with yourself, learning something new or just contemplating the beauty of the world as it is. Because honestly, when you cut through all the bullshit, if you can find a quiet place in your mind and then open your eyes and look across the hills of the Palouse or the plains of the Great Plains or across a field of full of cattle, 
you'll find a great amount of beauty there. But when the noise is so prevalent in your head, it makes everything look bad or neutral or sometimes you don't even see it because you're so distracted by the bullshit that's been laid out before you. You didn't put it out there. I didn't put it out there. Who's putting it out there? Media in cahoots with governments around the world, in cahoots with billionaires that actually give it, you know, give enough of a shit to be a billionaire like Bill Gates and through their philanthropy ruin more lives than anybody can possibly imagine. That's not what I classify as philanthropy, but apparently Bill does. Um, final words. Think about estate planning and, and get creative. Do not leave your wealth to those who will misuse it. That's an imperative. That's got to be a rule. You know the federal government, no matter what country you're in, will misuse your funds. That means the time that you spent on your earth, they will use for their own machinations, which are never good, right? Figure out a way to leave it to those that you love in a way that doesn't allow the federal government to get 40% of it. Again, please, if anybody out there knows somebody at Unchained and you're like friends with them or you have their ear, please tell them to consider helping me construct a company that my children are members of or somehow or another officers of and all they're, all I'm passing to them is the ability to manage that company and their decision to take distributions is on them and that can't violate rules set forth in the actual company bylaws. That's, that's where this all, this is, all that boils down to restructure the way you think about your inheritance as instead of a boatload of cash or whatever, even a canoe full of cash, instead of that as a legal entity that you don't pass on, you just pass on control and I will see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.